if you're a content creator, there will come a time in your career, whether you're doing it for yourself as an entrepreneur or whether you're doing it for a business, there will come a time when you're working not just alone, but as a part of or as the leader of a team. Last May, I got an inquiry through my LinkedIn inbox from Christoph Trapp, and he had just updated his book, Content Performance Culture, and he asked if I'd like to have him on the podcast. This is a great reminder that sometimes a simple, clear pitch works the best. Before we get into this interview, where I talk to him about what he means by a content performance culture, how to create an effective team, and also about his role as director of content strategy for Vox PopMe, maybe you have been hearing about AI lately. There have been some incredible breakthroughs recently. The images circling around the web from Dolly and some of the other image generators and the writing I'm seeing, it's stunning. Stunning doesn't mean it's ready to replace writers, but wow, there are some very amazing breakthroughs happening and they're happening fast. So the other night I was experimenting, trying to dip a toe in some of these things and see how they work and what they're capable of. And I was playing with ChatGPT. I decided to write a prompt, and the prompt was write an introduction for an episode of the Grounded Content Podcast about creating a content culture with guest Christoph Trapp and host Marion Abrams. Here's what ChatGPT came up with. Welcome to another episode of the Grounded Content Podcast. Today we have a special guest, Christoph Trapp, to talk about creating a content culture. Christoph is an experienced content strategist and has worked with top companies around the world to help them create a content culture that works for their team. We'll be discussing the importance of content culture, the steps you can take to create one, and the challenges you may face along the way. So get ready to learn how to create a content culture that will help you and your team succeed. What do you think about ChatGPT's writing? I mean, the interesting thing about this is that ChatGPT has no idea whether those are the things we talk about in the podcast. It didn't listen to the podcast. It wrote that solely based on my prompt. So I thought, let's take this test one step further. And I decided to try CapShow. CapShow is an app that I've been experimenting with for show notes and descriptions. I actually upload the episode file and it writes based on that. It's supposed to be writing show notes and social media posts and blog posts. But let's see what CapShow came up with. And then it goes on to say, Christoph Trapp is the director of content strategy at Vox, which is not correct. It should be Vox Pop Me. And the host of the business storytelling show. He's the author of Content Performance Culture. This is pretty interesting to me because I didn't feed it that information. So it pulled that either from the interview or even possibly by scraping the internet. Cap Show goes on to say, This is Christoph Trapp's story. Now let's see how much of this is right. Christoph is the director of content strategy at Vox. Again, it should be Vox Pop Me. And the host of the business storytelling show. He has a book called Content Performance Culture. Christoph is interviewed by Christoph Trapp about content strategy. Okay, there's a mistake right there. And how to create effective content culture within a business. They discuss the importance of having a clear vision and goals, being collaborative, and continuously pushing content out. In this episode, you will learn the following. One, the importance of having a clear vision and setting goals for content strategy. Two, the challenge buy-in from different teams with different KPIs, and three, the need to be open-minded and collaborative when brainstorming. Okay, so this is me again, Marion, not the AI. Obviously, 
there's some issues here. Christoph did not interview himself. It's kind of canned. And I don't think I would ever say in a world where content is king, one man fighting against the tyranny of an always-on culture. But I'll cut and paste from this. It's pretty amazing that it wrote all of this copy just based on uploading the episode. I would love, after you listen to this episode, to hear from you how you think the AI did. Do you think it got the point? Or do you think it would have been better to write this intro myself? Please go and let me know. You can find me on Instagram at MadMotion or you can try my pod inbox page and you can leave an audio message for me there. Maybe I'll feature it on the next episode. All right, this was a long intro, but I had a lot I wanted to talk about. Let's get into the interview with Christoph Trapp. So Christoph, welcome to Grounded Content. I'm excited to have you here. You are the Director of Content Strategy at Vox Popme. You are the host of the Business Storytelling Show. You have a book called Content Performance Culture, and that's really why we're here and what we're here to talk about. So welcome, Christoph. You bet. Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. A lot of our listeners might be in a smaller content creation environment, and I think they would love to get some insight into how you think about content strategy in your role as a director of content strategy. What are some of the sort of big picture things that you're thinking about when you're creating effective content for your business? No team is ever big enough. Everybody could always need more people, including the people that are, you know, have a 60 60 person squad. So, so put that out of your mind that you can that you're short staffed. We always are. And the reason is because content creation, there's no end point, right? I could literally be up 24 hours a day and oh, we can do one more podcast. Oh, we can do one more live stream. Oh, we can do one more campaign, whatever. So you have to set these boundaries. How much are you going to do? How are you going to accomplish it? And, you know, of course, you want to start with your goal, right? So I don't do a podcast. I do a live stream that goes to a podcast, that goes to TV, that goes to articles. So I'm not putting all of my eggs in one basket. And, and that's, I think, what companies need to do, especially when there are smaller teams. Well, and then, you know what? Some strategies take time, right? I mean, when you talk about SEO, I mean, that takes a little bit of time to work. Now, you can use your content in other channels. So I'll give you an example. You know, if I'm writing an article that is truly an SEO play, I will see, hey, can I send some of this content to the sales team? Is there maybe, could they use a couple paragraphs? So if, let's say a salesperson, you know, moves the deal forward because of, in part, because of that one email they send from an SEO article, that's a win for everybody. Um, so always think about how do you use it in all these different channels. But but at the end of the day, you have to publish. If you don't, you're not going to win. I, I feel like that's almost more of a problem from what I see in a bigger company that using everything multi-channel because there's a different team for every channel and they all have their own KPIs and they're not communicating to each other. And maybe this is where we get into the topic of your book a little bit more about how you create a culture where content creation can happen smoothly and effectively. So at the end of the day, if you don't have um, the same goals and if you don't have the exact same goals, they at least need to align with each other, right? So if I'm sending um, an SEO article to a salesperson who can use it in an email, I don't have the same goal that they have, no doubt, right? That is not my goal, but it's but I can help them reach their goal, right? And my goal is to how do I get the most out of my content um, so you need to figure out what are people trying to do? What are their goals? What are they trying, you know? And 
um, there might be a leadership issue, and this is what I talk about in the book quite a bit, is you have to create that culture. And, and all these leaders who claim, oh, we're servant leaders and we're whatever, like, be a freaking leader. I mean, seriously. You know what I mean? Like, stop telling you're going to help everybody. Well, you help people by creating the culture that sets people up to succeed. And you have to set the vision to an extent, right? If if one leader sets one goal and that team follows that goal and another team has a totally different goal and doesn't care about anything related, like, there's a disconnect, right? You doesn't make any difference if you're a servant leader. And I'm, I'm not dismissing that whole concept completely but at the end of the day you have to set the vision you have to set your team up to succeed of course the vision has to be consistent across departments but maybe you're you know here's a great example what i see with podcasts a lot in a bigger organization uh and i remember hearing even some of the npr and gimlet people talk about this at one of the podcasting conferences was if they posted an episode of their podcast on say instagram or facebook as we know podcast listeners aren't going to click through. They're going to see that on there. And that day when they're at the gym or on their run, they'll open up Apple or whatever their podcast app is and they'll hit play. And so the social team, you know, at NPR, Gimlet or wherever is saying they're measured on their KPIs, engagement and click throughs and all this stuff. And they're seeing none on that. And the podcasters know that these posts have to go up to generate listens how do you manage that kind of conflict? It's not so much a conflict in the vision, but in the measures of success. That is not the goal of social. And I know I know that exists, right? Why is nobody clicking? It has nothing to do with you. It has something to do with how these social networks try to get things to work and try to stay people on platform. So my way around that is you live stream a podcast to social media, and that's the social media engagement, right? People can watch it there. I don't care if they click. It's a very different strategy. So you kind of have to think about it. And I hear that all the time, actually, Marion, when people say, well, we have to do this. We have to do it. But why do you have to do it? Like, why? Like, why, 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 why? And I think good teams ask that all the time. Why are we doing this? Could we try this? Yeah, I agree. Why, why, why? That's my favorite question. Always ask why. So when you're looking at uh, building your strategy, what are some of the questions? How do you sort of find out what's working? Once again, it comes back to you have to actually push things out the door, right? So if you don't push anything out, whether it's an article or a podcast or an email campaign, you can't test it. And I think best practices and tips from the experts, they're fine to use. But but some experts, they're truly living in the world of, like, I don't want to say make-believe, but like... This is how it would be in a perfect world, right? In a perfect world, nobody would send me unsolicited emails. I'm just going to jump in and I'm going to say, you sent me an unsolicited message on LinkedIn, but it was an appropriate message, right? It was a message that was valuable to me, valuable to you. We're going to have a great conversation. Um, I love those messages. It's not the unsolicited part, right? It's the inappropriate part that's the problem. It's it's what's what's the content in it. So, you know, th- that's kind of how you have to do it. And and then you have to look at what's working and what's not working. And sometimes, I know people don't like to hear this, sometimes we don't know. Like, why is this article all of a sudden taken off? We don't know. And But there is a lot of things we can know. For example, you can figure out what email format works. You know, what style works. I'll give you an example. I don't remember the, exactly the message I sent to you. But I'm pretty sure it was just kind of like, hey, Mary, I just want to let you know my new book comes out, blah, blah, blah. You know, if you want to have me on your show, happy to do it. Like, 
I'm just talking to you, right? I don't have the whole salesy marketing baloney in there like, um, dear Marion, I hope you're doing well. And, you know, like that's already a sign that you don't want to read that email because I don't know you. And and you're not blowing smoke. I mean, I love to hear how great I am, but you can tell when it's transparent. It just turns you, it's a total turnoff, right? So I think you have to kind of figure out what's a good format that works and then, you know, uh, look at the numbers and just keep doing more of that and, and, and keep trying to duplicate it. You know, if there was one one thing that people were getting wrong about creating content-friendly cultures. Um, I think part of this is maybe potentially like a generational thing. But I used to have editors who are definitely in the boomer generation who I'll, I'll, I'll really walk you through their day. They come to work at 9 o'clock and they work 9 to 5 and they're in meetings all day. And then they would have to edit all the work between 5 and 9. And I'm thinking, that is crazy. And But, you know, that's kind of how it was because there was no slack. There was no, um, you know, people didn't think about that, I guess. And that's just how it was not negotiable. And so, so one big barrier I think that companies throw up is stop the meeting madness. The end. Why do we have to have a meeting about it? Now, sometimes you have to have a meeting. You have to collaborate. You have to think about it. You know, it's helpful to talk. It's helpful to see people. Uh, But as Adam Morgan at Adobe said previously on the Business Storytelling Show, he said, you know, creativity is not just going into a meeting and going, what are your ideas? Like, you have to think about it. You have to sleep on it. You know, you have to, like, just throwing garbage on, you know, a, a little notepad that nobody can read because your handwriting sucks is not collaboration. Let's let's so, dig into that. Uh, how, how do you run a yeah. good collaborative meeting? What, is, what does that look like? So I think, first of all, um, you need to understand how your team members work. And there's different types of people, right? Some people want to think about it. Some people just want to talk about it. And I think Holly Adams is the one who said, um, do you talk to think or do you think to talk? And so you have to figure out how do people do that, right? So if you are if you need to talk it through, a, a meeting works just fine for you. But if you have to think it through first, you know, you need to think about it. Now, I think the answer really is you give people an idea what we're trying to accomplish. You give them a day to think about it overnight or whatever. And then you have a meeting and people can bring their ideas or, or whatever. The, the trick is, how do you share what you're trying to accomplish? You know, like if somebody says, you've probably seen these meeting invites and they say, we're going to talk about the new strategy. Bring your ideas. Like, what does that mean? So how would you present the idea well and clearly? I, I think, first of all, you want to think about how people communicate. And I think in today's world, with people being across different time zones, it is important to be able to send a message that makes sense, whether it's on Slack or whatever. What are we going to do for April Fool's Day next year or whatever, right? I know people don't do those campaigns anymore. But keep it rather open. Don't have the specifics already. Don't say, I want to do a campaign about this one specific thing. Well, why do you need my idea if you already have the final idea? Right, right. I have uh, I interviewed um, some story experts, and they have this idea for brainstorming. They call it the power of 39. And the idea is if you have 10 ideas, it's not quite enough. If you have 100 ideas, it's too many. And they say let's – part of their brainstorming process with their clients is to come up with 
39 ideas. Because by the time you get into the 30s, all the bad ideas, the quote, bad ideas come out. And some of those are the best ideas. And some of them are a bad idea, but they bring to mind a good idea, right? That's what I'm talking about when it comes to the content performance culture. You have to have the right culture. You have to stop being rude to each other. You have to stop being mean. You have to stop pretending you know everything. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. I've done the the business storytelling show has had over 500 podcast episodes, and about 100 have been on TV. And every time I log into my podcast hosting provider, like I set up a new show the other day. Uh, Bright Ideas with Brian Monshine. And like, it's all different. Like, it's nothing like it, how it used to be from when I set that one up, right? So the, my point is, me doing 500 episodes makes does not make me the expert at podcast hosting because it changes. So keep an open mind, move forward as a team, you know, and and and, and collaborate. And don't, you know, don't be a jerk. Don't judge everything that could be judged. So at what point when you are doing this process, do you move from idea and that kind of openness into execution? And how much do you factor in? Like, I love to look at everything as a balance, right? What's the effort, meaning like what's the budget or the team members or the time? And then what's the result? And and kind of calculate everything based on the balance between the effort and the result. At what point do you start to apply that? to the creative ideas. So you want to think about how do you move forward on some things really quickly? What can you already implement, right? If you're already doing a podcast, is there something you can add to the podcast, right? From the idea session, for example. So so think about how does it fit together? How does it work together? How can you make something you already have stronger? And how can you build on stuff you already have? Uh, one of the biggest pet peeves I have perhaps is these big long strategy sessions collaborative sessions and then you have all these ideas and nothing gets implemented it's just crazy yeah so so I I want to jump back to, I want to continue on this but I'm also thinking about what you just said about um this idea of, you know what we call repurposing right and um I I, I like to remind people that repurposing could be as simple as mentioning something you learned from someone, which you've already done on this interview. You mentioned someone who was on your show. You referenced what you learned from them. That's repurposing content. Like you said, putting a quote in an article, that's repurposing content. I, I just wanted to call that out because people get really hung up on that. But I want to jump back to where we were about execution. And um, I'm really curious, is there a point in the brainstorming process where you make that shift and you start to assess ideas based on the effort required. And and maybe I grew up in this culture too, honestly, where everything is its own project. And what I'm saying is in content, it's not. It's not, not everything is standalone. And I think you sometimes see this when companies would start a new campaign and every new campaign gets its own Twitter account. It's like the stupidest thing. But I think that's like a holdover from everything used to be its own um, you know, project. I'll give you an example. Um, my articles, I update them all the time on ChristophTrap.com. I actually just updated one that used to come from my fitness blog about weightlifting gloves. I was going to say, just it. before this interview, I went and I looked at your website and I was like, he's writing about boxing gloves. I need to ask him how that relates. <laughs> yeah. So 
so that's that was a holdover from a different blog, right, when I moved over articles. And then I slowly started deleting them at some point. But this is one of the articles that really performs pretty well. Um, but the problem was all the examples given were from like four years ago, and many of them you couldn't even buy anymore. So I just updated that article. But my point is, back in the day, you would do a new article, or you would just scrap it, right? You just get rid of it. But I'm like, a bunch of people read this, but it's wrong. It's not wrong. It's just outdated. And so keep updating content when it makes sense, when you get to it. How do you manage that? Like, it makes sense when it's you, because you wrote the initial article and you have it in your mind what you need to update. How does that work when you have teams that, you know, you have new hires, new teams, they don't maybe know what's in the archives, what's been done in the past. How do you kind of work and think about reusing or taking advantage or adapting your old content or your old projects when you have new team members? So I have a really short memory, honestly, Marion. So even though I wrote these articles, like I hardly ever remember everything that I've written. Um, you know, like, yes, I quoted a bunch of people from my shows, but only because I've listened to those shows a bunch of times and, and they're top of mind, right? Like there's a bunch of things I couldn't quote, I couldn't remember. So in the reality of things is I search, right? I go back and I look at things and I see like this weightlifting article, it's... Um, it popped up on like a high performing article. I was like, oh, I wonder what that's even what's in there, you know, and I refreshed my my mind and my memory and I, I looked at it. So you have to kind of look at the numbers and you have to keep going back and you have to sometimes search, right? Like, oh, okay, so-and-so wants us to write about whatever, you know, blue lollipops. Have we written about blue lollipops before? So you go to your your content, wherever that might be housed and just search and say, Blue lollipops. Okay, we already have eight articles on on blue lollipops, and I think anybody should do that. I worked with a team before, and I don't remember what the exact. Um, I think it was something about how to stay cool in the summer um, while you're working outside or something like that. And they literally had eight articles on that topic. You know, the twelve steps to stay cool, the eight ways to stay cool. The, I mean, it's like. There's nothing new in any of those articles. In fact, they might be hurting you. So just update one article. Um, and then, you know, depending on who wrote it, depending how much you updated it, you know, if you have bylines, which I do recommend, honestly, on, on any site, um, you know, just update the byline. Like, you know, the rule we have here is, uh, you know, if you update the majority of the article, you get to change the byline. If you just changed formatting or whatever you know you leave the byline for whoever wrote it um, and that's kind of uh, I think a good rule what's your mechanism to get experts kind of into your your content machine back in the day we used to interview people um, and then we write articles right and it was just like an analog interview they were recorded but it wasn't used anywhere and that's fine that works um, but if you can do a live stream with somebody you need content from you already have a channel where it was published right so you already are on track to publishing now some topics don't work for that some people don't like to do a live stream so uh, it, it's okay to do it differently but you could do a podcast where you edit right um, and that's one way to do it um, I I don't think I've done I mean back when I was a newspaper reporter I would run around with my notepad, right? And I don't think I've taken, I've done an interview where I've taken notes in, I mean, probably over a decade now, pretty much. 
Um, so it's always recorded. It's always live streamed the last few years. Um, and I think that's a good way to do that, honestly, if you can. W would it make sense to kind of go through some of the different content platforms and talk about how you think about each of those, how you think about applying these concepts to them? You need a website and you need a good website and you need a website that is easy to update. Um, and you know, I know people will at me and, and yell at me that this is not possible in their company, but I think your content creators need to be creating in your website. If you're copying and pasting from Google Docs, what a waste of time. And here's the other thing. When you're writing content, you should just be updating the images you already have. You should add the links. You should do the formatting. That's not another person's job. Like, it's not that complicated. Like, I know, I worked in a company in 2007 where we wrote things in a Word document, and then another person literally copied and pasted and built it. We don't have to do that today. This is not 2007. You can go into WordPress or whatever uh, CMS you use and build it right there. So you do need a website. Uh, we do not need to be copying and pasting things, honestly. There's no reason a writer can't add links. There's no reason a writer can't do some of the formatting. It's simple enough, honestly. And it makes way more sense for them to think about how the flow should go on the actual page and not in a Word document, which, yes, looks very different. Make that as simple as you can. Um, and then use other channels. I'm a big fan of, you know, trying short form, short form audio right now. Racket is one network that's kind of moving on up there. So try that. See if it works. You know, there are short um, audio clips and you can reach a different audience. Um, maybe even TikTok, you know. I mean, I'm seeing car dealerships who are shipping vehicles because they're making fun videos and now people follow them and now they got some new trucks coming in and all of a sudden people go, oh, do you ship to Idaho or wherever? And they say, yeah, we ship anywhere in the United States. And Now, I don't know how much that costs, but, um, you know, that is, uh, it's a strategy. So try these two new networks, see how they fit in, um, but don't forget about your website. And also, I want to be very clear about that. That doesn't mean you always link back to your website. Um, you know, we mentioned that on social media earlier. People really don't click as much on social anymore as they used to. So just figure out a way to use the content natively on um, social media as well. The other thing you might think about is uh, texting is uh, moving on up here. I'm not a big fan, honestly, of getting texts from anybody other than people I know. Uh, but Angela Profit, she does that really well on her website. And basically, you, you don't even sign up for an email list anymore. You sign up for a text list, and then they text you things every, you know, so often. I, I think it is. I think you can work. I mean, you can find good people who can do it and who can interview people. Um, but, you know, I mean, think about it this way, right? Usually it's more expensive when you when you think about the per piece um, cost, right, when you hire somebody to write just one article. Uh, but there's certainly good people out there that you can hire. I mean, I see, you know, people like Ashley Cummins, she's out there creating fantastic content all the time. So certainly it's not impossible, uh, but you do have to hire the right people. How do you um, sort of help guide the content creators on your team to get what you're looking for, or maybe teach them or give them feedback? I think you got to find the right cadence, honestly, because if you're full-time in content strategy, right, you have a different amount of time than content creators or you use your time differently. 
And But if you get with a content creation team all the time about your strategy, they don't get any creation done, right? So you have to make sure you give them the time. Um, but you also want to figure out, you know, what is really futuristic? What should we try? I'll give you an example. I have no inclination that I will be doing anything in the metaverse anytime soon. But I'm thinking about it. Um, you know, how can I make a podcast in the metaverse? Does it even make sense? How would it look? You know what I mean? And that's like, wait, like I can think about that and dream about that. But the cre creators today, they don't have to think about that today. Like I don't need to waste four hours of their time, knock on their, you know, their cubicle or whatever and talk about them. But other ideas that are more helpful right now, you know, like, hey, a new keyword is trending. FYI, you might want to know that. Um, those things are a little bit more tactical and, and they might be helpful. So well, Christoph, thank you so much for being here. Uh, this show is called Grounded Content. And so I like to ask people, how do you think about, you know, when you are in your role, either as an author or your role in content strategy, it's always a balance between being really effective and uh, creating customer actions and at the same time being sort of grounded and for lack of a better word, authentic and real. How do you balance those two and is there a line between sort of persuasion and manipulation that you won't cross well long term you i do believe you can't manipulate people oh you shouldn't at some point it's going to come back and bite you and maybe this is where i'm a little bit more in in the clouds here on that topic because i do know people do that but but at the end of the day it, it comes back to relevancy right like why do you have to manipulate me at all why can't you just show me how why i should do this and how awesome it is and you know like uh, reach me where i am so i think you do need to be authentic i think you know at the, at the end of the day companies need to stop making up stuff if they do um you know just share your expertise and at some point it's it's gonna work and and you know i i think that's all true and really that's sort of where i stand but we do, as you know, marketers or content creators, we're still using tactics. You know, whether there's a little hint of scarcity to get people to actually, you know, uh, sure. you know, take an action or something. So for me, what I think is interesting is how do you use those tools, and where do you find that line between you know what's useful and what's appropriate? I mean, I was on a website the other day, Marion, where I swear the countdown timer was literally just going to midnight every day. Do you know what I mean? Like at midnight, oh, yeah. it resets and says, this is, I might have been on that website for, too. <laughs> it's like, this is only valid for the next 23 hours, but it's it's not, right? So, and I think for a content strategist on the, on the more top of the funnel, that I think comes in more when you say things like, this is where the world is going, right? And this is what's going to happen and whatever. But like, how soon? When? What does it mean? You know, so you can say those things, but you do have to back them up. And I still, you know, when I was working in the in the um, buildings industry, building publication, I would always go up to people at conferences and, and they would say, we're the only company that does this or that or whatever. And I would say, that is awesome. Cool. That's fantastic. Like, how do you know? Do you know what I mean? Like, I was nice about it, but how do you know? Because everybody says that. We're the only ones. We're the best ones. We're the, you know, this is the best podcast you've ever had. Prove me wrong. Right? Like... Um, so but you but have this to is the best up. podcast, right? There you go. I'll okay. take it. I just, I, I'm <laughs> best podcast episode. Yes, Beth, you, you okay. turn it on me. Very good. Very smart. Um, but just back it up, right? If you're going to be 
um, if you're going to have one of those tactics, just show the facts. And if you can show the facts, that's I think that's fine. And and what are people going to get out of that book that is going to help them do that out of your book, Content Performance Culture? Well, I think there's some things, um, certainly you can just kind of read it, you know, but it also gives you tips and tricks on on, on what to think about and, and, and how to do it and um, some very practical tips. Um, but at the end of the day, there are some what I would call pillars of um, that you need in your culture, right? And some of them are mindset, some of them are skills. So um, if you don't have them, I think it makes it much harder to get there. Thank you, Christoph. You bet. Thank you. All right. So to remind you, I would love to know how you think the two AI apps, CapShow and ChatGPT, did with their intros and with their descriptions of this episode. Did they miss something big or essential that you found or learned in this episode? Or were they pretty right on, other than some of the obvious mistakes we talked about in the open? Let me know. You can find me at Mad Motion on Instagram. You can go to my pod inbox page and leave an audio message there. And if you want to find out more about Christoph, his content, or buy his book, you can find out at ChristophTrap.com. And you spell Christoph, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H. Trap is T-R-A-P-P-E. So ChristophTrap.com. All right, we'll see you next time.